If you would take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. Today we're going to look at the identity of the Son of God, who is Jesus. And we see here in verses, one, or verses nine, 29 to 34 a great description of who Jesus really is. And we need to make sure that we know who Jesus is. Amen? Uh, when I was in seminary, Sally and I, we lived in a little town called Montrose, California, and the apartment building that we lived in, I think there were 15 or 16 units. The owner of our building was a member of Grace Community Church, and he kept our rent very low, so that was nice. But our, our apartment complex was full of seminarians and Christian school teachers, and uh, so sometimes the Mormons would come around to our apartment complex, and that was fun. That was fun. I remember they came to my door one time, and, and I said, no, I don't want to talk to you. And they went upstairs to see my friend Rick McLean, and I was peeking out the window and just listening to him. And he didn't let him inside, but he just said, listen, you better get Jesus right. You better know who Jesus really is. And I think that's a good word for all of us today, and that we know the Jesus of the Bible and not the Jesus of the culture. And you might look at the two and see that they're diametrically opposed to each other. So we got to keep coming back to the word and seeing who Jesus is. And here in John chapter one, we see a great description of the Christ. So if you would read with me, John chapter one, verses 29 to 34. The next day, he being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Well, back in February of 2013, I was pastoring in Indiana, and we had the incredible privilege when we were there to have Allison Felix at our church in Brownsburg, Indiana. She came to speak at an FCA banquet there. I was serving as a board member for the Central Indiana FCA at the time. And, and she, was, she came to be our speaker and was also gracious to come to our church and, and speak for a few moments as well there. The connection I had to Allison was her dad, Paul Felix, was my professor of Greek when I was in seminary. Some of you know who Marlene Felix is. She came here a few years ago and did a women's retreat. But I had the incredible privilege of introducing Allison to our church. At that time, she was one of the fastest sprinters in the world in track and field. She had set numerous records. She had won state and national titles and also had won a few world championships. And she came to us in the spring of 2013 after winning three gold medals in the Olympics in 2012 in London. In 2017, she came to Annapolis. I had her speak at Navy FCA and I got to introduce her to our huddle and to our men's and women's cross-country and track teams there at Navy. And at that time, she was the most decorated uh, female Olympic track and field athlete of all time. 
Now she is the most decorated Olympic track and field athlete of all time, male or female. That was a great honor for me and for us to, to have her at FCA and to have her at our church, inter- introduce her to our congregation and to our FCA huddle. But can you imagine what it must have been like for John the Baptist, who had the incredible and unimaginable opportunity of introducing the Lord Jesus Christ to those gathered around the Jordan River and to introduce him to the nation of Israel and really to introduce him to the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Today we have an incredible opportunity to look at this wonderful passage of Scripture and see the identity of the Lamb of God, the identity of the Son of God. But before we dive into that, I want to first look at the person and the ministry of John the Baptist here in John chapter 1. And we'll begin by looking at the forerunner to the Son of God, or the forerunner to the Messiah. And we know that is John, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. So if you would, go back earlier in chapter 1 in verses 6 through 8. John the Apostle writes, saying, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light but he came to testify about the light. Drop down to verse 15. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Verses 19 to 23. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. And then continue in verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. In verse 23, John says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. John was just a voice. And in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 4, Isaiah wrote 700 years before the coming of John, before the coming of Jesus, we read these words, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. And we see that the voice mentioned here in Isaiah 40 specifically in verse 3, 
is the voice of John the Baptist. The language there in verses 3 and 4 has in view the ancient Near East custom of sending representatives ahead to prepare the way for the coming of the, or the visit of a monarch, to prepare the way for the coming of a king. And that is exactly what John the Baptist was doing. He was preparing the way for the Messiah, preparing the way for King Jesus. Jesus, who came the first time to manifest the glory of God and to die for the sins of those who would believe in him and then raise victoriously from the dead. But as we think about the identity of the Son of God today, we first see that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. And John begins in verse 29 saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know about John the Baptist. John was a prophet. He was indeed a prophet, but he was not the prophet. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the first prophet to speak in over 400 years, as there has been silence from heaven for the last 400 years. His mission was to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Son of God, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And his coming was a fulfillment of prophecy, as we see in Isaiah chapter 40. But the coming of Jesus was also a fulfillment of prophecy. God the Father would have spoken to John the Baptist and revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah, that this was him. But what would make John say these words that we read in verse 29? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that is exactly what Jesus would do. He would, the Messiah would come and take away the sins of his people. He would remove the sins of those who would place their faith and trust in him. We know that the blood of bulls and lambs and goats could not do this. We read in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But there was coming a lamb, the lamb of God, a perfect and spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish. Again, from Isaiah in chapter 53 that you're familiar with, verses five through seven, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. The coming of Jesus was a fulfillment of prophecy. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. He is the God-man. And we see in John chapter 1, verse 14, 
John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isaiah and the prophets said that he would come, and he came. John prepared the way for the coming of Jesus, and he came. Jesus said before he left that he would come again. The angel told the disciples that were looking up into heaven that Jesus would come again, and and John writes in his gospel that Jesus will come again, and Paul the apostle tells us that Jesus is coming again. Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers these words, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Jesus is a fulfillment of prophecy. The next thing we see here is that Jesus is the forgiver of the sins of the world. He is the forgiver of the sins of the world. And this comes again in verse 29 when John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is what Jesus does. Amen? He takes away our sin. He removes it all. Psalm 103, that great psalm, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jeremiah 31, 34, they will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. In 1 Peter 2, 24, Peter says, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. We just passed the 10th anniversary of that tragic school shooting in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, December 14th, 2012, where 26 people were killed. 20 of them were children between the ages of six and seven. It was horrendous. And it makes us sick to our stomach to think about it. And if we had forgotten about that, We were reminded just a few weeks ago as those images were once again flashed on our television screens. It was evil personified. It was evil magnified to the greatest degree. We are in absolute shock when something like this happens. Like I remember that happening in Colorado at Columbine High School. I was in seminary and watching those images on the television or in Uvalde, Texas or even where, near where I'm from, in Greenwood, Indiana, or Washington, D.C., or in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. But at the same time, we are not that surprised as believers in Christ because we understand the depravity of man and the sinfulness of sin. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And when you understand this, we may even be surprised that things like this don't happen even more. And that is a credit to the restraining hand of God and his common grace. We have all sinned. 
we have all missed the mark. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. One of the big sports at West Virginia University is rifle. And we have a couple girls from the rifle team that, that come to FCA. One is, one is one of our leaders there, and they have to be perfect. They shoot at this target, and when they are not perfect, they lose. They miss the mark, and that is true of us. We have missed the mark and have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned against God. We have mocked his holiness. We have committed treason against the Most High, and we are deserving only of death and an eternity in hell. We deserve no less than what the brutal, brutal killer deserved from Sandy Hook, Connecticut, for we have all broken God's law. But Jesus is the forgiver of our sin. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And this is not teaching a universal salvation that God will overlook all sin and everyone will be saved. John is saying that Christ came into the world to save sinners, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, and all who confess their sins and repent and turn to Christ and Christ alone will be forgiven of their sin and cleansed from all their unrighteousness. David said in Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 1 John 1, 9, a, a verse we know well, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I am looking at a room full of sinners this morning. Liars, murderers, adulterers. And you are looking back at a very sinful preacher and pastor. I would say I'm the chief of sinners, but Paul already took that title, right? I heard Tommy Nelson, who was pastor of Denton Bible Church near Dallas, Texas, say this several years ago. He said, if you knew what God knows about me, you wouldn't come here. But he also said, but if we, or the elders, knew about you what God knows about you, we wouldn't let you in. <laughs> but I'm also looking at a room full of saints this morning, holy ones, those who have been made holy by the blood of Jesus, those who have been covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, friend, I would ask, does that include you? Have you placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Because he is your only hope. He is the only way to the Father and the only way to heaven. The next thing we learn about Jesus here, he is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn of all creation. Look at verse 30. John says, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Well, how could John say something like this? Because it wasn't true. We, we all know the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth and the conception of John, the birth of John the Baptist, and the fact that he was six months older than Jesus. How could John say such a thing here? He was a prophet who always spoke for God. He was a prophet who always spoke the truth. 
Well, he could say this because it was true. When Jesus was born, it was not the first time that Jesus ever lived. It was the first time that God had become a man. Jesus has always been. He is the firstborn of all creation. He was not created. He is eternal, and he has always existed. I love Christmas hymns in December, okay? December, not October. But some of the older ones that we have in our hymnals have so much great theology. O come all ye faithful is one of those. Listen to these words. True God of true God, light from light eternal. Lo, he shuns not from the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten, not created. Look back in verses one and two of John chapter one. You know these verses well, but John begins with the deity of Christ. He, he takes no time with genealogy. He gets right to what he wants to show his readers. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning of all beginnings, Jesus was. That is something we cannot fully comprehend. I would advise you to not try to comprehend it or you will have a bad headache this afternoon. Everything in our world has a beginning, right? Everything that we know. But God is eternal. He has always been. And Jesus is eternal. He is the word. And the word has always been. And, and when the word left heaven, he put on flesh and he tabernacled or he dwelt among us. God incarnate, God with a body. And that's what we see in verse 14 when John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was begotten, not made. He was begotten, not created. And John understood this, I think, to a point as much as he could. And he accepted it by faith and proclaimed that when Jesus came into the world, this may have been the first time that his feet touched the earth, but this was not the first time that he had ever lived. John says here, he has a higher rank than I. He existed before me. And again, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read these words at Christmas time, but for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, we are all going to die. I know that's not breaking news. It's just a reality. It is destined for man to die once and after to face judgment, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. None of us know when we are going to die, and when those parents put their children on that bus in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, on that Friday morning, or when they dropped them off at school, they had no idea that they would never see them again. Life is a vapor, isn't it? It's here today, it is gone tomorrow. And James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in James 4, 13 to 14, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Friend, do you want to have eternal life? 
Do you want to know that you will go to heaven when you die? Do you want to know that you know that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Then place your faith in the eternal one, the everlasting father, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord of all creation. The next thing we see about the identity of the Son of God here, he is the favorite of the Father. Sorry if any of you thought you were the favorite of the Father. Sorry. Look at verses 31 and 32. John says, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Friends, John did not pave the way for Muhammad or Buddha or for anyone else. He prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. God did not send his spirit down on Muhammad or Buddha or any other prophet. He sent his spirit down on Christ, on his son, his beloved son, his favored one. I want you to see this. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter three and keep your finger there because I'm going to reference this another time in my next point. The Matthew chapter three. Beginning down in verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know also in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, on the Mount of Transfiguration, we read this, that while Peter was still speaking, I just love that, Peter is talking, and says, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The father does not say this about anyone else because only Jesus is God. Only Jesus is eternal. Only Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through the one with whom God is well pleased. And so friend, if you are here today, and if you are trusting in yourself, in your own righteousness, in your own religion, I've been teaching through the Gospel of John at FCA on Monday nights, and we spent four weeks in John chapter three looking at this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And I've had athletes coming to me after listening to these words and saying, wait a second, are you telling me that I'm not saved by works? That I have to be born again? It's been transformational in the lives of many of our young people. And so if you are trusting in yourself and your righteousness and your good works, 
let me just say in all love today, stop and place your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And God will be pleased with you. He will be pleased with you, not because of your efforts or because of your works, but because he will no longer see your sin, but will only see the righteousness of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Number six, we see that Jesus is the fire and spirit baptizer. The fire and spirit baptizer. In verse 33 of John 1, he says, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So I told you to keep your finger there in Matthew 3. I want you to Look with me at verses 1 through 11. This has much to do with John the Baptist. We read that in verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Look at verse 11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we see here, friends, that there are two types of baptism from Jesus, the baptism of the Spirit and a baptism of fire. Every person who has ever lived will receive one or the other. I believe that with all of my heart. The baptism of fire is a baptism of judgment. We don't sing songs asking for God to send down his fire upon us. That would be silly and not not a good thing to do. For then we would be asking for his judgment. No, we sing songs about his mercy. We sing about his faithfulness, his grace and his love and about his Holy Spirit. That's what we want to come down upon us. Matthew 3.12 says, His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so those who reject Jesus and his finished work on the cross, his atoning death in the place of sinners will be baptized by fire. They will face his justice. They will bow down before him and they will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and then they will be condemned to an eternity in hell. 
It's a place that is absent from the love and the mercy and the common grace of God that sinners enjoy here on the earth. It is a place described as outer darkness, a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die, where the fire is not quenched, where there is absolutely no relief, but only suffering forever and ever. But those who receive Christ, those who repent of their sins and place their faith in him and him alone are, and are justified or made righteous, they will receive the Holy Spirit and will be granted everlasting life. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Friend, if you are here today and you are apart from Jesus Christ, it's not too late for you today. It may be too late for you next Sunday or tomorrow or later this afternoon. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow or the next day. Trust him today. Jesus says in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. I love that visual of crossing over from death to life and you're not going back. Finally, as we contemplate the identity of the Son of God, we see that he is the full and exact representation of the Father. He is the full and the exact representation of the Father. Back in John 1, John the Baptist, this eyewitness of Jesus, says, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He was begotten, not created. He is eternal, and He has always been. And to see Him as the Son, sonship means equality. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals this man at the pool of Bethesda, a paralyzed man. And Jesus answered those who were rejecting Him, saying, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. And for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I love this. Jesus doesn't backtrack. He does not say, hey, wait a minute, guys, you misunderstood me. Let me clarify what I was saying. In fact, later in the Gospel of John, Jesus says in John 10, verse 30, I and the father are one. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses have tried to tell me what that verse means. I disagree. They've tried to say to me, Kirby, has anyone ever said to you, you are the spitting image of your father? Like, no, no, no one's really said that to me. I understand what you're trying to say. And that's their interpretation of that verse. But if you look in John 10, 31, those who were listening to Jesus knew exactly what he was saying because they picked up stones again to stone him. He was claiming to be equal with God. And Jesus was only telling the truth. He was the Son of God. He was God incarnate. He was God with a body 
He was the God-man. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, we learn more about this there. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, listen, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, and he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Jesus is the name above all names. His name is the only name given among men by which we must be saved. Beloved, this is the Jesus of Scripture. This is the Lamb of God. And this is the Jesus that the world needs to hear about. This is the Lamb that can and will take away the sins of everyone who believes, no matter where they have been and no matter what they have done. This is the Jesus that the people of the world need, and this is the Jesus that you and I need. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the forgiver of the sins of the world. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the favorite of the Father. He is the fire and spirit baptizer, and he is the full and exact representation of the Father. Jesus is our only hope. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only truth that leads us to eternal life. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So trust him today. And if he has forgiven you of all of your sins, worship him today. Live for him. Love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And go out this day and make him known to the world around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Gospel of John. Thank you for the clarity as we read this book. Lord, as John writes so that all who would read would come to understand and know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is deity, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, that he is the vine, that he is the good shepherd, that he is the door of the sheep, that he is the bread of life. Lord, all these things that we see in this glorious gospel. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that today might be the day that they place their trust in you. God, would you be so kind to grant them repentance from their sin and give them faith to believe. We know that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Faith is a gift from you. And so I pray you would give that to any unbeliever that is here today, that they might place their faith in Christ and be justified and declared righteous by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we who know you, may we always defend the Jesus of the Bible and not the Jesus of the culture. May we be a light. May we be salt where you have placed us. Help us to love you, to worship you, to live for you all of our days as long as we have breath. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.